Amen. You can be seated. My name is Colin. I'm one of the pastors here at New Life East. We're so glad that all of you are here this morning. We are in a series talking about the church. The first part of our series was talking about the practices that we have within church, what the relationships look like for those inside of these church walls. And now we're moved on to the part of the series where we talk about relationships outside of the church walls, what they look like, what is the role of the church in uh, position to the world. And so if you remember a couple weekends ago, we talked about the one another's, how we one another, one another, it's kind of redundant, about serving, how we serve one another, even in conflict. And today we talk about how um, our hospitality is a sign of the future kingdom. When we pray in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we believe that we can, we can see the kingdom of God on earth now through the way that we treat the world. So we're going to, well, I'm going to tell some stories. And uh, we're going to talk about how God loves strangers. Hebrews 13 says this, Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Sometimes we need to be reminded that. Keep on loving one another. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. This is a reference to Genesis 18, one of the first stories in the Old Testament. Abraham and his wife Sarah are sitting out in a tent. And God appears to them in the person of a stranger. And Abraham and Sarah, they provide a meal for, for him. And there's this blessing that takes place. And throughout all of Scripture, God is talking about strangers. What we know from Scripture is that strangers matter to God. And when we say that we are in the city for the sake of the city, we're in the world for the sake of the world, those are sayings around new life here. What does that actually mean? We're going to talk about hospitality today, and that's our loving hospitality, how that separates us from the world, and that how, um, how it's a sign of the future kingdom. You know, when I think about um, how every culture treats strangers, you know, if you've lived in different parts of the nation, everybody treats strangers differently. I'm from this dirt right here. I'm Born and raised in Colorado, fourth generation Colorado native. I'm proud of it. That's why I tell everybody that. And, uh, you know, Colorado Springs, I mean, we have many different cultures here, but we're not really a melting pot of the cultures. You know, we, we haven't, like, become one general homogenous people. I think there's this, this, this uh, rugged individualism that drives people to come to Colorado. It's beautiful. On the weekends, we go to the mountains. And what we really do is just, I think we just tolerate each other's presence in Colorado is really all it is. And we respect somebody else's reason for being in Colorado. It's the same reason that we are. And so we just agree to ignore one another. And we'd actually prefer, prefer to, agree, to ignore one another. And that's like how it is on the roads. You know, you can tell a lot about a culture by the way we drive. And uh, I think that the sense I get in Colorado... It's like, I just don't know why other people are driving on my road, you know. <laughs> and I went to um, college in Nashville, Tennessee, and I'll never forget my dad took me for preview days like they do at colleges. And we landed, and there's 
already this climate shock that happens when you get off the airplane, when you fly from a dry climate in Colorado, you're so high in elevation, and, you, and then as soon as you get off the airplane and the door opens and it's your first breath of air, which in the South is not really a breath, it's more like a swallow, you know, because you have to chew your air in the South, chew and swallow it. And it's just like, it's like, well, I can't breathe. This air is so thick. And uh, the, that first night, my dad took me to Chili's for dinner. Great, fine establishment. And we're sitting and, and we, walk, we walk in the door and our hostess greets us at the front door. And this was back when it was smoking or non, you know. And the hostess says to us, real sweet southern gal, she says, smoking or non? And my dad always had this thing at restaurants where he would say, non, very non. And it was like he had to qualify the amount of non-smoking that he was willing to tolerate. And so we're standing there in the foyer at Chili's, and he's, he's done his stupid dad thing of like non, very non, and she was, I think she's already confused that there's like a confusion. You know, she's like, we don't really have any very non-smoking, but I'll do my best. And so she leaves, she, she leaves the hostess stand, and my, like my dad is kind of confused, like, are we supposed to follow you? Or so we stand there, and she's gone for like, like seven or eight minutes. And my dad, is like, at minute two or three, he starts like, what, did they just forget about us here, Chili's? And she, like, she eventually comes back, and my, my, by now my dad doesn't even want to stay. He's like, they clearly have bad customer service here. And, and takes us back, and we sit there, and he's just so agitated the whole time. And I found that after I moved to Nashville, Tennessee, that I had to go in and out of this re-entry every time I would s- switch cultures. Whenever I would come back to Colorado, I'd be like, man, everybody is in such a hurry. And then I'd move back to Nashville, Tennessee, and I'd be like, man, could these people just speed it up a little bit? And it's like, they're very nice about it. And then there's the Midwest. I've lived in South Bend, Indiana, as well as Minneapolis, Minnesota, and I saw that hand mat. And um, but go abs. Sorry, I couldn't help myself. And, you know, Indiana, like the posture towards strangers it's like, you know, when you meet somebody on the street, you're just talking, you know, you're getting to know new people. And they say, well, where are you from? And, and I say, I'm, you know, from Colorado or from Tennessee, wherever it is that I've been. And, and they say, they don't say this, but as if to say, they're like, what was so wrong with your family that you moved here to try to become a part of our family? They're so tight-knit, you know, they're so loyal. And once you're in, you're in. But, like, getting in takes a long time. You're a stranger the entire time. And it's like, guys, I don't want to be invited over for Euchre and um, what's it called? Lufka, Lufgate? Sulfulgate? Lufulgate? What's it? Watergate. No, not Watergate. That was Nixon. Lufgate? 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 Nailed it. I was like, I don't want any of that. I just want someone to be like, I just want, you know, just be nice, you know. And then there's Texas. Mm. I think I might be one of the only Coloradans who truly loves Texas. I think it's the cowboy in my spirit. The like, I mean, Texas doesn't have the ability to recede from the union at any time, but they don't, but they'll still say they think they do. And I like that, you know. 
It's like, I like, you know, the guns. I love the guns. I love the big, I bet barbecue. I love barbecue. Uh, Big trucks. I love big trucks. I mean, Texas is like, that's, that's great. I think that Texans forget how to drive when they come to Colorado. And that's what gives them the bad rap. But like a Texan driving in Texas is actually quite a refreshing thing. Have you ever followed a Texan when you're driving on a two-lane highway? And by the way, the, the speed limit signs are really just a suggestion. I appreciate that. But if you want to go faster than the, than the Sunday driver in front of you, you know, they're watching and they're driving in front of you and you see them. They, you, you come barreling up on them in, in their rear mirror. And what they do is they pull off into the shoulder. Do you guys, have you guys experienced this? It's the most courteous thing in the world. They pull over into the shoulder. And the first time it happened to me, I was, I was like, oh, no, something's wrong with this car in front of me. And I don't. And, and this gentleman's hand comes out the window and he just waves me past. And as I'm driving past, have you all seen the Texas wave before? Oh, it's so wonderful. It's just one finger, not the middle finger. It's, the, it's just the one finger. And it's done in conjunction with the head. I've practiced it a lot. And as you're sitting there, you pass a Texan, and they just look over you, just acknowledging your presence, like, we're all sharing the road here. And the finger and the head up goes up together, just like that. And you're like, you feel like you got to do the same thing. You're like, I'm Texan. You know, and you just drive past, and then they merge in behind you, and it's like everyone goes on their merry way. I was like, Colorado has so much to learn about how to share a two-lane highway. Rory and I were recently in Texas for a conference, and we stayed with some of Rory's great friend, dear people, to save some money on this conference. We got to stay at their house. And the first night we land, and we're sitting in their living room, and reviewing the itinerary over the next two or three days. They wanted to know when we would be there for meals and what they needed from us. And y'all remember Brady and Kristen Jones launched New Life East with us about three years ago. And then they moved to Weatherford, Texas. And I let them know I was coming. I really wanted to see them. Weatherford is about two hours from where we were on the outside of Grapevine. And and I was telling our hosts that I've never met before, I'm a perfect stranger to them, that I was going to have Brady Jones drive two hours from Weatherford, pick me up, drive me back to Weatherford, see his house, and then later that same day he was going to drive me back to Grapevine again. I was like, only a true Texan would actually do that. And they heard that we were going to do that much driving, and they said, oh, no, 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 no. That's not necessary. We have a brand new Dodge Durango in the garage. You're going to take that. I was like, I was like, that's, I was like, no, 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 no. That's unnecessary. And they're like, what's unnecessary? But I said, you've never met me before. I could be a horrible driver. And they're like, no, no, there is no reason for you to not accept our hospitality. You're going to take our car. And guys, I did. I drove this car all the way to Weatherford, all the way back. And it was fine. I didn't crash anything. And it was like, I was, I was the whole way. I was like, man. Texans have got to be some of the nicest people in the world. I was like, but Texans don't even, they've never even heard of a stranger before. This is incredible. And then, you know, it just got me thinking. I was like, I was like, I think Jesus must actually be a Texan. (laughs) Said no Colorado ever, but that's how you know that revival is happening up in this place today. You know, Jesus... We read this in John 3.16. If you've grown up in the church, you've known this verse that God so loved the what? That he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting, to have eternal life. 
we grow up knowing that God, this whole salvation thing is like, yeah, salvation to the world. You get some, you get some. It's not a, you know, we have a, we serve a global God. And in Matthew chapter 28, we have the great commission. Therefore go make disciples of what? All nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. God is a God that is a global God. And you get a sense of just how big and global God is when you go on a missions trip, you know. For me, it was going to visit my, the, the child that I sponsored in Guatemala. And it's the six-hour plane flight. It's getting off in the, the airport where there's guys with, like, big guns. And then it's this van that takes you three hours up into this dirt road into the jungles of Guatemala. There was a pull-off that we came to. And there was a group of kids that were all there, a couple older teachers, and our host and our guide and those who were with on the trip. We, we pile out of the van. And, we're, and as soon as we do that, we, you know, this whole group of kids is in front of us. And um, there's one especially small little boy. And the group kind of just thrusts him out and, into the front of the group, like as if to like offer a peace sacrifice, you know, like, like take him. And he was, uh, I looked at his face and I recognized it because it matched the picture that's on our refrigerator. And I immediately recognized Sebastian. And I get down on my hands and on my knees and I and give him this hug. And it's super awkward because he has never seen a big giant white guy before. And then he turns and he just, with the whole class behind him, scampers up into the jungle. And our whole group regroups, put on our backpacks. We hike in after them, and he's leading us to his house. So we hike three miles up the hill through this rocky, rocky dirt trail, and we come to a clearing, and then there's a house on this hill. We walk up the hill. They beckon for us to, it's not room for the whole group. There's just room for Jenna and I, his sponsor parents, sponsor family to come in and there's plenty of light inside of this hut because there's no chink or anything between all the logs. The light just pours in through it. And there's a dirt floor that's about the size of the stage, and it's packed really solid. And all the doorways are really narrow because from years of, nutrition, of malnutrition, the people are, are really quite short. And so we stoop to get down. We walk inside the door. It doesn't take long for our eyes to adjust. And we had brought a present for Sebastian, and we wrapped it all nice, and so we presented on the makeshift table for Sebastian. And he'd never seen wrapping paper before, so he didn't know how to open it. And his aunt, who he lived with, came up to him and helped him pull the bow off and pull the wrapping paper off, lifted the lid off. And he pulled out a towel that we'd got him, a backpack, soap, and a toothbrush, just some necessities. And, you know, I, I came to Guatemala to help show Sebastian that we care about his future. You know, I came to gift him. I came to give him these things. And no sooner had he opened these things, you know, I feel like I'm the benefactor. I feel like I'm the hero of the story. His uncle, who he also lives with, turns and he reaches up and off of a nail that's pounded into a post, he pulls off this bag that 
the family had sewn in some of their native tribal colors, black and red, and, and he asked me to stoop down. He just motioned to me, and so I bend down so that he could hang over my neck this bag. I look down into it, and it contains a can of apple juice and a peanut butter cracker that's wrapped in plastic. And I later found out the significance of such a meager gift, that this was a daily ration for their family, for each of the individuals. They were given that for a day. And someone would go without a meal for that day because they choose to give it to me. And that meal, that gift hung around my neck like a thousand pounds. Then they said, would you pray for us before you leave? And so we gathered in the little hut like this, and we all gathered around and we held hands. And out loud, I just said, God, I have no idea what to pray for this family. Because I'm thinking in my head, they need food. They need a proper house to live in. They need, like, like, this does not compute for me. And then our translator started interpreting from the tribal language into Spanish. And the whole room was just this murmur. And it just became so evident to me in that moment that the God that we pray to here today at New Life East is the very same God that we were praying to in Guatemala. My, my awareness of God got bigger. My understanding of what it means that God is yesterday, day, today, and tomorrow, and he's omnipresent, and he's everywhere at all times. Like I was like, this finally makes sense to me. When we go on mission trips, we get an idea of just how big God is. When we say that we are in the world for the sake of the world, that's what we mean. But God is not a God who's pandeistic where he... Um, he just sets the world into motion and he gives salvation to whoever wanted and then he goes back about doing what God does, doing God things. He is Jesus of Nazareth. He was born to a community of people. So the incarnation was Jesus coming to the earth, taking on flesh and dwelling among us. And we get an idea of God's design for communities and how he offers hospitality, not just to the world, but offers hospitality to a community in the story of him feeding 5,000 people who gathered around him. It was a hot, hot day and the sun's beating down and 5,000 people are gathered around Jesus in Matthew 14. And the disciples come to Jesus and say, we got to feed these people. It's hot. They need food. And Jesus says to them, well, why don't you feed them? You do it. You can almost feel the, the confusion on the disciples' faces. They think, well, you're God. You're supposed to do this. And God gives them a strategy. He says, well, organize them into 50s and 100s. So the disciples, each of them in their own way, you can see it how Peter would do it. You know, he's the rock. He's like, he's like get into 50s and 100s right over here. And then you got John, who's just like the soft-spoken, meager one. He's like, okay, well, how about that's a few too many? How about a few less than that? He gathers them here because, see, when God asks you to do hospitality, you can do it in just the way that he designed you to do it. He gifted you with exactly what you need in order to fulfill his call on your life, and he gathers them. And then it's not until the disciples are actually holding a few loaves of bread and a few fish that they begin to see the miracle play out. So they're holding their bread, and they're giving it a piece at a time, but the bread never runs out. See, when God presents an opportunity to you in your community, the very place that he planted you, you ask him, God, what do you want me to do? And he gives you a strategy, then you do the work, and then he does the miracle. That's how we care for the communities that are around us. 
And it has everything to do with proximity. See, the disciples and everybody who was around Jesus, they were eligible to receive hospitality from Jesus, not because they did something, not because they earned it, not because, you know, it's like Chick-fil-A. When you go to a Chick-fil-A opening, you got to do all this stuff. You got to camp overnight and skate around the Chick-fil-A four times and wear a burlap diaper and do like, and then you get Chick-fil-A sandwiches for a year. There, that's not how it works. Just being in the presence of Jesus, you are eligible for hospitality from him. And the con- conversely, it's the same way. Proximity that Jesus places you in to that place and that people that he calls you to, that's where you are to serve. And so when we read the Great Commission, like, go and make disciples, for some, that's a call to go. For some, that is to say, okay, I need to move to Africa. I got to go to Guatemala. And that's where God wants me to serve, so to make sure that all the nations know about Jesus. But there's also the call when we when we hear that Jesus feeds the 5,000, that, that he calls you to a certain place. So you guys live in this neighborhood. You live in Banning Lewis Ranch. You live in Stetson Hills. Those are the places that God plants you. The neighbors next door are the people who need to be fed. There's a story that Gabe Jenkins is the men's pastor at New Life North told me last week. He oversees the helps ministry, and that's the ministry that gets called in to help widows and they, whoever really needs help, and they, they build stuff and they replace light bulbs. And, and there was always Wade who would go with them, and Wade had a, a pulmonary disease, and he was very sick, but he still would go. And any time the helps ministry was working and they didn't have a tool, Wade would say, oh, I have that tool. And he would get in his car and he would drive to Home Depot. And he would buy the tool and then go back to the job site. And here would be this brand new tool all wrapped in the plastic in the box. And the guys would unwrap it. And see, Wade figured out that his place, even though he couldn't do the work, he could provide the tool. God includes everybody. There's a place for you to serve and feed the 5,000 wherever you are. Nobody is excluded from this. We need to be invited into it. It might be easy to say, Wade, you don't have any actual skills. You can't saw. You're not healthy enough to actually use a hammer. You're going to be a nuisance on the job site. But instead, it's an invitation to Wade. And Wade passed away a couple weeks ago. His heart disease ultimately ended up taking his life. But the legacy that he leaves is that Anybody can serve. John Calvin says this. Says this office of humanity has nearly ceased to be properly observed among men. For the ancient hospitality celebrated in histories is unknown to us. And inns now supply the place of accommodations for strangers. John Calvin is referring to these stories in the New Testament where so much of Jesus' ministry is done in homes. You guys remember this uh, song? I can't really preach a sermon without singing a song. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Oh yeah, the hand motions. Thanks, Tony. And he said... Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm going to your house today. I'm like, Jesus, y'all just inviting yourself over to poor Zacchaeus' house. And that's what he did. 
He invites himself in. And see, we think that there's so much of this part of the story. We're like, I invited Jesus into my heart. And, but here's Jesus doing the one inviting. He's saying, I am coming into your life. I'm the one that's initiating this. This is what Jesus does. He invades our world. When you said yes to Jesus, did he invade your world? Yes, he invaded our world. And Jesus is not just inviting himself into our space. He's inviting us into his house as well. John 14 says, In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. You all know the old audio adrenaline song? I got to get myself going. Hold on. Come and go with me to my Father's house. What, Rory? It's a big, big house. With lots and lots of room. It's a big, big table with lots and lots of... Yeah, it's a big, big yard where we can play football. That's the best part. It's my father's house. I was like, man, when I was in junior high, I was like, I have a picture of the hospitality of God. What, Rory? It's a fantastic illustration. Have you ever been invited to somebody's house, you know, where they just do hospitality really well? I think of um, Brooks and Jordan Pepin. They go to New Life downtown. They had our, our family to their house for dinner. And, like, the hospitality begins, you know, you pull up in the driveway, and there's always that, that awkward thing of, like, do I park in the driveway or not? I'm like, well, I just did. So I park in the driveway. I'm like, hope they don't need to get out, you know, because we're at their house. And you get out and you walk around to the door. And there's like this welcome committee. Their kids are already out the door and they're all on the porch. And they're just like, oh, they're here. They're here. Oh. You already start feeling like a little bit nervous. Like, oh, are they nervous that we're here? Are they glad? We're... And then we get in. We get in. And it's like, it's just obvious. As soon as you get in the door, it's like there's a candle burning on the mantle. There's music that's playing. And like already the atmosphere is so welcoming. Like they've been preparing for us, you know. We get in. We go into the kitchen and. It's like, it's just so comfortable. Food's like the food's in the oven. She's like, well, dinner's already ready. And she pulls it out of the oven and she puts it on the table. And she's like, it's obvious where people sit because there's little name cards, you know. And you're just like, oh, this is so classy. And you sit down and, and like the tablecloth ma- matches. And there's like a charger underneath the plate. And it's like, it's like, so like that, we're just here for dinner. Like it's not a holiday. And you sit down and like, and there's just great food. And like our kids kind of have allergies. And so there's food that matches our diet because she asked us ahead of time. And then conversation just gets going and you're talking, you're back and forth. And they're asking, like, they're asking us questions too. Ever been in a one-sided dinner conversation? It's horrible. You're like, look, I'm out of questions. But not here. They keep, and we ask them questions. And before you know it, it's 1030. We're like, oh my gosh, look at the time. We got to go. Oh, I got in the car feeling so good, you know. Come back when you can stay longer. And you get in the car just feeling great about yourself. You're like, this was wonderful. Have you ever been invited to somebody's house where you're like, did you actually invite us over? Like, how did we get here? You know? Where you're like, you're sitting there the whole time and you're like, oh my gosh, can we leave? And then as the pastor, you're like, well, let me pray for you. <laughs> like, that's like the cue, you know? Be like, well, let's wrap this sucker up. Well, let me just say a blessing over this super awkward time. So I can go home and we'll get food on the way, kids. Sorry. <laughs> like that feels horrible, you know. You get in the car and then you look at your wife and you're like, we'll add that one to the list, you know. Probably, probably busy next time they invite us over. You know, like you don't. I would never do that to any of you. 
just forgot that might be a necessary to say. Well, like hospitality and guys, it's this personality that this this personness of Jesus. You know, he's not just salvation to the world. Okay, no, no. Okay, well, these five thousand. You know, it's like it's like no, come into my house. God gets so personal with us. As we talk about strangers, you know, it's easy to, you know, we're the benefactors, you know. We're the ones that have the house to invite people to. And, but I realize that there's another side of this. There's somebody else who is not the benefactor today. There's somebody who really relates to the stranger. We can't talk about hospitality without acknowledging the stranger in the room. And if you are without a home, if you are without social status, or if you're without a place to belong, then you might feel like you're the stranger in this story. What I find encouraging is that, you know, all throughout scriptures, Jesus is the one who is the stranger. And he also says this in Exodus, he's talking to the Israelites, he says, you yourselves know how it feels to be foreigners because you were foreigners in Egypt. You know, what God did with the Israelites is he sent them into the wilderness. He made them be a people that did not have a home, a place to belong. And it was intentional so that they could know what it felt like. You guys ever been a stranger before? I already said it. Colorado Springs is not a melting pot. We just moved from all kinds of different places. You guys ended up here somehow. You've moved somewhere else somehow. Do you remember what it felt like when it was Thanksgiving dinner and there wasn't somebody to invite you over? And it's your first meal by yourself in your apartment and you're like, this really doesn't feel good. This is a paragraph that's written by Dr. Christine Poles. He's a professor at seminary. And I just want you to read this. Just listen to this as I read it. In the Gospels, there are many stories of Jesus as a guest at dinner parties, family meals, and celebration in various homes. He's also portrayed as a stranger who is sometimes welcomed, but more often rejected. Frequently, he is pictured as a host who feeds hungry crowds, makes room for prostitutes and little children, and cooks breakfast for discouraged disciples. God is described as a host in the wilderness supplying manna every day. Later, Jesus reveals himself as the manna, the bread of life. Not only is he a guest or a host, Jesus is also the meal, the sustenance we need, the source of our lives. The centrality of this hospitality is reinforced and regularly reenacted in the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, where we remember the costly welcome we have received into the kingdom and where we are regularly welcomed to the table of the kingdom. The table is the greatest act of hospitality, and you are welcomed to it. If you are the stranger today, there is welcome for you here at New Life. There is welcome for you into the kingdom of God. You just need to say yes to Jesus and say, yes, God, you've been standing at the door and knocking at my heart for a long time. I, would you just finally say yes to him? There is an opportunity for you to do that. As we ponder the table, communion, I have a charge for you. Would you stand and, and receive this? This is an opportunity to just to examine 
your heart. If you're the stranger, you just acknowledge that there are places in your spirit where you, you have withheld. Uh, maybe it's not anything that you've done. Maybe it's just the strangerness that's around you. You're in a new place. Would you, um, would you just see that the invitation is in front of you? For those of you who have it in you to offer hospitality, do you smile at people? When you drive into your neighborhood, do you wave to your neighbors? Do you just open your garage door and just zip in there as fast as you can so no one talks to you? Do you go into your places trying to offer shalom? When you get your hair cut, do you walk in and say, and, and think about what the, your hairdresser needs? Do you think about her spiritual depravity? Do you pray for them? Bosses, you are one of the most influential people in your employees' lives. You're probably the one that uh, gets talked about maybe most around their dinner table. Are they talking about how you care for their needs? How you gave them that raise without them asking? How you, how you valued them? Is your name a blessing in their home? Or do they feel oppression from you because you're meeting a bottom line or just frustrated in your own, in your own place of management? Families, are you cultivating hospitality? It really doesn't take much. You don't have to have a charger under your plate at dinner. It just takes the, the simple act of saying, do you want to stay for supper? Have you said that in a while? Why don't you stay for supper? If you're visiting somebody's house and at 4.30 and dinner time, have you ever heard them say that? Hey, you want to stay for supper? You feel that in your spirit when someone says that to you? Why don't you say it first? Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For in doing so, you have, have entertained angels. And you say, well, God, well, when did we see you? And, he was, and Jesus says, he says, well, I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. I was hungry. You fed me. Church, I know you. You are hospitable people. Don't forget. As the band sings over this, would you remember the welcome that you have been given? And then Pastor Rory will lead us to the table. God, we respond with open hearts this morning. Open hearts to your word and to what you want to speak. So we just simply say we're listening and we're available to you. sing this together. Holy communion with my perfect Father. Jesus, my Savior, in the Holy Enter the mystery, the greatest romance, oh, oh. love's invitation, I humbly
so New Life East, that is how we come to the table this morning. Knowing that we who were once strangers to God are now called loved, 
freed, accepted. We have a place to belong. And knowing that we are then sent out into the world to carry that into our communities and into our spaces. But right in this moment, we think of the night that Jesus was betrayed. He took that bread and he broke it. New Life East, would you take that bread and would you break it? Jesus took that bread and he broke it. He said, this is a picture of what will happen to my body for you. Sacrifice is always what leads to hospitality. A moment where Jesus would give up his life for us. He says, every time you eat, would you do so in remembrance of me? New Life Feast, would you take and would you eat? That same night, Jesus took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. It's a promise to everyone who drinks it. That what is said about you as you step to the table will remain true. That you will always be loved. You will always be chosen. You will always be set free. Because of what Jesus has done for you. New Life East, would you take and would you drink? And now would you respond in worship by singing the doxology? Guys, Outreach is here. Pastor Melton and Pastor Jackie are here to, to give you some really clear on-ramps for what it looks like to serve in our world and in our communities, in our cities, and in our, uh, in our families and our homes. So stop by and talk to her and Connect Central on your way out. Um, if you need prayer for anything at all, if, you are, um, if you're struggling with anything, our altar ministers are at the wall and would love to, uh, to bring your needs before the Lord. So they would love to do that with you. Now, go. You guys bear the love and the relationship of Jesus on your lives. Go into your communities. Go into our world. Go into your homes bearing the love of Jesus. It was great to worship with you. We'll see you next week.